Hello, and welcome to Office Hours. If you're just joining us, well, you might be three three years late. We have uh, three years of Office Hours today. Uh, we're not going to make too big of a splash about it, but if you'd like to comment on it, feel free to put your questions into the chat. Um, our second hour, though, we will be focusing on education questions and a little bit of a look back at our history and education. So feel free to put your education questions for our second hour. Feel free to uh, to put in your questions at officehours.global if you'd like to join the party. So let's get started. TJ, what do we have? Thank you, Josh. Vienna Tran from Adelaide, Australia is up first today. Vienna says, happy third birthday, Alex, and office hours. Here's to many more years of learning and friendship. What is your advice for those who still want to be part of the community, but find it challenging to join the panel due to time zones or work commitments. Go ahead, Courtney. Well, if you are able to listen live, if the time zone isn't such a problem that uh, you know you you can't be awake at the time, uh, Makana Mobile is a good way that I like. When I can't be on the panel, I usually uh, crank open Makana Mobile because I can listen to it on the go. It has the audio feed, and if I want to uh, enter questions or respond uh, in the panel chat, you can do that, uh, which is great if you're on a commute, except if you're driving. So uh, that's my suggestion. John? Remember that there's also opportunities to um, be part of the community through Discord, especially I think is the primary asynchronous way, as well as after hours. So you can always jump onto after hours and have a conversation with somebody else who's part of the office hours community. As far as volunteering opportunities, there are other roles you can take on that don't have to be in line with the show times. And make sure you sign up through the uh, I want to help link on the email. Alex. Yeah, you're going to find that there are more and more uh, non basically non-synchronous opportunities. So research for the the, the second hours, um, you know, building out a lot of those bits and pieces, working with teams on that. And we'll, we'll start to have more and more meetings related to that. We are having a volunteer meeting next Saturday. So, um, so if you're interested in doing that and talking about some of those uh, non, those asynchronous uh, opportunities, definitely come to next Saturday. Um, that'll be happening after this meeting. Uh, and uh, we'll talk more about those opportunities. Fantastic. All, all we'd love great to have Vienna advice. on teams. That's all I want to say. <laughs> Vienna, we'd love to have you on a team. So let's let's find let's find a place for you to uh, for you to join. Absolutely. So some some um, worldwide accommodating features of being able to participate in our community. Also, um, our questions open up uh, every day after our show, so you can put in your questions um, anytime you want. You don't have to put them in just before the show, but. If you'd like to join us, just another reminder to put in your questions and vote. Let's go to our next question. Andy Carluccio from San Francisco, California is up next. Yesterday, Zoom opened its platform to Amazon Web Services for developers to create custom cloud-based applications and workflows with Zoom raw data. What future products would this community purchase from developers utilizing this new platform? John? Yeah, I'm from the call center industry and Zoom has a call center platform. So I think a lot of those integrations are going to be tools that allow you to do things like sentiment analysis on calls that happen within Zoom, as well as identifying who's speaking when, uh, how, what words they're using, trends you see in those kinds of patterns. So I think in the call center space, there will be quite a few different applications that will integrate because call centers, a lot of them have unique applications and they need their platform to integrate with those applications. Alex? Yeah, from the from the, um, the 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 
the link that was out there in the in the Zoom blog, I wasn't totally clear of all the features that would and wouldn't be available. It looked like it might be audio, data, video, but if it's video, um, I think that there are a lot of tools. I think that there's a bigger opportunity for Zoom to empower people building bespoke events, you know, in the cloud for, you know, for all kinds of things, everything from school to meetings to corporate to everything else that you can think of. And right now, it's just been a little bit heavy to do that. And you're trying to cobble things together and make things work. So I think that building, you know, giving people the tools that they need um, via the SDK to and take something that people know a lot about, which is AWS, and, um, and, and start to piece those things together, I think really makes a makes a big difference. Um, and so I think that, that I think it's going to be an explosion of being able to build these bespoke uh, solutions. And I think that a lot of the things that we see from Mimo, from uh, Isadora, all those things could potentially be passed, you know, could, could be, be feeders from the real life world <laughs> into the cloud uh, to make all of those things work. Next question. Bo Cordell from Charleston, South Carolina asks, this week on Reddit, I noticed a free and open source rundown timing alternative to stage timer and show flow called on time. It's cross-platform and browser-based. Has anyone had a chance to play with it? And there's a link. Go ahead, Alex. I haven't played with it. Um, you know, I think Showflow is is something that we've used in the past, and it's been really effective for the for exactly what it's designed for. <laughs> so if you use it for a live event, it works exceptionally well. When we use it for broadcast, we've had it's not been perfect in that area, especially if we do long broadcasts with it. Um, so it, so I think that it'll be interesting to play with uh, with this this new one uh, on time. I, you know, I, I have I'm always concerned. I admit with open source projects because I'm just not sure they're going to get the resources that they need. So as, as someone building a project, I oftentimes look at an open source project and go, well, we'll see. <laughs> so, so like it's, you know, because I, I, I'm usually happy to pay for things because I want them to be stable and keep growing and, and know that I'm in because I'm investing something too, which is time. And so um, time and stability are a big deal to me. So, you know, the open source projects always worry me, but uh, I'm definitely going to check this one out either way. Jeffrey, get a chance to check it out. Well, I was going to show it off, but vMix decided not to show off the other screens, so I got to fix that first. But yeah, I did download it and install it. It uh, runs fairly well, straightforward, nothing, no major issues there. Fantastic. Let's go to our next question. Andy Carluccio from San Francisco, California. Obspot has opened an OSC-based API for its webcams. Will this be the pressure needed to get Insta360 to open its APIs for the link beyond basic UVC control? Does this update change anyone's perception of the value of the OBSpot cameras? Jeffrey? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what they've done is they've created this thing called the UVC remote. And they've, and they've with OBSpot, you can actually get a, an actual remote, and I have one down in the basement, I should have grabbed it, uh, that was USB pluggable. And then you plug it in, and of course you can control yeah, up to three different OBSBOTs there. With this OSC update, you can actually add that to things like vMix. And I will. I have a quick demo here. Here's what it looks like outside. Yes, I did shovel this morning. And through my vMix, I can actually control the, uh, the movement. I can switch cameras and a lot more. Plus, with uh, with my Stream Deck, I also have, there is a downloadable OBSBOT option where you can uh, then be able to zoom in, zoom out. 
and control your camera left and right. So it's a pretty good big game changer. And when I last talked to Avsbot, they wanted to do a lot more. They wanted to actually put NDI in there. And I'm really expecting that this uh, Tiny 2 will have functionality where all of a sudden you're going to be using this with your uh, with your your um, bit focus and and uh, and your stream deck easily. Alex, yeah, I think that the OSC is a big deal. Um, I, I we'll see what we can get there. It's, it looks like it's in pre order right now for the new Tiny Two, which is the one that is the probably the closest to uh, the Insta three hundred and sixty. Uh, I think that uh, you will see us start pushing next week for all of us to contact Insta three hundred and sixty and point out the fact that Obsbot. We're trying to make decisions about uh, cameras, and Obsbot has an OSC support, and we're wondering what they're going to do with it. Um, so we're going to see. This will be our first kind of test of mobilizing our group for this. Uh, so um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll be putting it out next week. I will probably talk about it all next week <laughs> and put it in the email of uh, some basic things we want people to do. And we'll see if a lot of people, um, if, if even 30 or 40 people show up on a, on a website asking for something, uh, it, it probably will at least get a meeting, um, you know, uh, internally about what's going on there. So, uh, so I think that we'll, 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 we'll start to push that a little harder next week. So stay tuned. Next question. Bronze Whitehead from Adelaide, Australia. For someone building a large pool house, what cables should we get in the trenches connecting to the main house? Nigel. So I actually asked someone the question this week about what cabling uh, we would recommend, and their answer is always, it depends how flexible you want and how much money you want to spend. If you're really just delivering a TV signal, then the coax is fine. If you're just delivering sound, then... Uh, you know, you can just send speaker wires. If you want more flexibility, send a CAT6 or CAT7. And if you really want to do this properly and you really don't know what you want to do in the other end, uh, multimodal OM3 fiber will give you the maximum flexibility to change your mind later. Alex? The biggest thing that I would say is that if I'm building a trench, I would build it in a way that I could keep on adding things to it. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, while they're, you know, we want to, the, the big, the big problem we get into and the, it's, it's amazing when we go into a house or a building where they thought of that, where they built the, the pipeline and they built the things that are needed. So one thing that um, we see in some locations is either some kind of cable or string that runs along the entire thing that you simply attach to it. And then you just roll, roll that cable through and you can just pull new cables through that anytime you want. So that you're not trying to feed something through. You're not trying to work it out. There's actually a service cable that's built into the, into the system that allows you to pull things along. And so those are the kind of things that, um, that, we, that we like to see if we can, um, you know, through those systems. And so, so think about, um, you know, forward flexibility uh, in that area. For me, I would probably, we, we have a lot of trouble with multi-mode. I think that it does work inside of what the, the, the use case that Nigel's pointing out. Uh, I would put probably a TAC-12, you know, to start, you know, across there because I can single mode uh, where I have 12 strands of fiber. I can go six ways each, six direct, you know, six each way if I want to, or eight, one, and four, the other. Uh, for some video solutions, multi-mode is very problematic. That's, that's why we tend to, um, work away from that, but but the but I'd start with attack twelve to get to get. If you're talking about, I assume because you're talking to this show, you're not talking about all the other things that you could put there, like uh, two hundred amps of, of power. <laughs> TJ, um, like Alice said, uh, forward thinking. Add a an empty conduit in the trench just for future things that you don't know about yet. Next question. Guy Cochran from Seattle, Washington, wants to know, how has ChatGPT helped you? 
Go ahead, John. Yeah, I usually use ChatGPT for whenever I've had a large text I needed to generate, like something more than a paragraph. I've typically just been using ChatGPT to give me the idea of what to start on. Sometimes I'll ask it for an outline. Sometimes I'll ask it to write the entire thing. But what I've done is I created a prompt that writes in my voice. And so it always kind of sounds like me. And then I can take it from there to edit. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, so um, the... I. <laughs> <laughs> on top of just a lot of entertainment, uh, I, I do. I I find that uh, I've been. I, I've talked about it a lot. I, I have it write recipes for me. And what's really funny about the recipes is that is that I can say, well, I really want this. I'm really into Osh soup, so I really want this Osh soup. I want it to be authentic, and then it put gives it to me. And I said, but I want twelve quarts of it because I want it all week. So it gives me another one. I don't want any any uh, pasta, so it takes that out. And and the thing is, is you can't do that with a regular recipe. You're like doing all this calculation, trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I do the multiplier, and does this multiply right, and and uh, and and what are the values, and you just tell it what you want, and you don't, and and then. You know, the the other thing that I've had it do is I, I asked it yesterday, we were talking before the show about writing a script. I said, write me a script of, you know, my my daughter came up with two teenage snails, a rom-com, and it wrote a little script. That was the 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 most uh, um, absolute rom-com ever uh, connected to snails. So anyway, so, the, um, so I think that it's a lot of entertainment for me right now. I have had it for testing, write code. And I will say that um, I, I haven't turned it into an app. I, I wanted an app that forced my phone to always stay in 48 megapixel. Uh, and so I, I just said, write, write this and write it in the language of Swift. I sent it to someone who would know, and they said, yeah, that will absolutely work. <laughs> so I haven't turned it, I haven't packaged it into an app yet. But it was amazing that in, in 15 seconds, I had a little little applet that did what I wanted to do. And, um, and that's one of the things that I think a lot of folks that I'm working with are using it for is getting snippets of code, not usually the whole thing. And they say that usually, and like the stuff that I've had, uh, it's not completely accurate. The other thing that I've been doing is just having to explain things. I, I, I talked about it earlier this week. I had it explain uh, uh, the, the blockchain to um, my daughter it was a better description than I would have ever come up. I said, explain blockchain as if I'm an 11-year-old. My daughter's a little older, but I just thought it would be funny to see an 11-year-old. And it started with a school, a, a school metaphor. Like this is a, you have a digital notepad and, and you, you, you write it down. So if people have lunch money or they have other things, it keeps track of it inside of this ledger. And it just, it just explained the whole thing in school terms and then broke it down into a more technical thing. And I vetted it with John <laughs> to make sure that I was, it was accurate and it nailed it. And so just having it explain things to me is been something I probably use it the most for. And then I go Google things and continue to research it, you know, from other people, but it, it's not accurate but when you google you have to realize that most of that isn't accurate either <laughs> so, so like we, we we overestimate what we're reading john preto if you, if you're in a business that uses language that means all you need chat gpt we're we're seeing significant improvements from 3.5 to 4 um so we're using it for everything we're developers and so we're feeding it into our application as well the the funnest thing i've done over the last week is we have a we have a uh, exam for rocketry. It's called level two, and I had it take our exam, and it got an eighty-seven, so it didn't pass by one point. Darn it, Courtney. You know, I get a lot of uh, high-tech equipment uh, directly from China, 
And uh, reading the instruction manuals on things like this little USB meter or little oscilloscopes and stuff that have been translated by machine from Chinese into English, which is almost incomprehensible uh, in its original format, I just copy that text in the Chinese-English translation and paste it into ChatGPT, and it fixes everything. It makes it perfectly readable and easily understandable, which uh, you know is very difficult to do. Yeah, Jeffrey. So, uh, I, of course, I have a website, and every year I, I pretty much go through the po- possibility that of, of what Geekazine is doing. Does it really need a website anymore? And one of the one of the biggest problems is always writing articles. So, writing articles and starting because I don't need it to write the article. I just needed to write a structure around it, and then I'll put it into my voice because a lot on Chat GPT is very passive voice. And so that's what a lot of people say, that that's how uh, they, they hear the automation or they can tell that this, this has been an automated thing. I've also been playing with Bard, and this is the one thing I've really been working on, and that is tweets. Because you can ask for it to, uh, for it to create a tweet uh, with hashtags, and it'll come with something like, for instance, this one saying, Office Hours is now open, have a burning question or need a guidance, drive by and say hi, Off- hashtag Office Hours, ask me anything and open for business. And then I've also been playing with Bard, which is uh, Google's version of, of, of GPT. And it does, it does a lot better job. I had it write an article. It gave me all the reference points, all the footnotes that I had that they found them from, like Wikipedia or whatever. And so I could actually use that article a little bit better. And it, it separated more like a blog post than something like GPT has been able to do. And of course, writing a tweet of course, just as easy. Uh, their uh, their version was join join my office hours today to help uh, help with your homework, ask questions about the class, or just chat with me. Off, hashtag office hours, hashtag student success, hashtag ask a professor. Nigel. Yeah, I was with the team this week, and I was uh, wanted to talk to them about what we could do to be more effective. And I thought to myself, I don't know how to say this differently. So I asked ChatGPT. I said, what advice could I give to a team to be more successful? And it gave me seven points, and the seven points were really good, really clear. So that's what I told them. Alex. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, uh, Yeah, I think that, you know, we're going to see, this is, we're really in the early days of what what we're seeing here. So we're playing with it, and a lot of the reason that I keep it open all the time as well as mid-journey is because I'm just trying to think about how, what, what I can do with it. But I think you're going to see things where it's taking live footage, it's analyzing it, it's summarizing it, it's break, you know, breaking it into many languages. Um, and I think that it's, it's going to be a really exciting, you know, both good and bad, but <laughs> very exciting um, structure that, that we're going to see a lot, a lot more of. I mean, I think that the, it's going to revolutionize education. Like we're in education day. And I know that a lot of teachers are afraid of like kids writing, uh, writing their papers with ChatGPT and so on and so forth. But the real value is kids being able to write something, ChatGPT being able to analyze it and tell them, this, these are all the things that you could have done better and even rewriting it and handing it back to them so they can see what it looks like as a, you know, more as a practice. They can sit there and, and get that. And that's a level of input that a teacher could never scale to, you know, to have, because a teacher, you know, if you had 200 papers to do, that would take weeks. Uh, ChatGPT can do it in 15 seconds and give you something that is, you know, is it as good as the teacher? Maybe not, but 
could the t- but it you know but it will it'll be 90%. That's what we're finding is a 90 90 80-90% accuracy is pretty good and better than the the what the feedback that most of the kids are doing because they could do a paper every night or a paper every week and it wouldn't overwhelm the system and so I think that it's going to be really exciting to see how it how it works. Next question. Brody Hefner from New York City is up next. Dolby Labs and Audible just announced a new collection of stories produced in spatial audio for Atmos-enabled devices. Is this the future of high-end narrative audio content? See latest news at this link, and there's a link. Hi, Dave. Uh, I'm not an Audible user, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, Reading a book is a singular experience. It's sort of a you in the book. And I can't really understand how Audible would have spatial, unless, of course, it's just atmospheric sound effects or something, to augment the narration. But I believe most people would listen to Audible books uh, with headphones on or in a car or in a solitary environment. They're not sharing it with someone sitting next to them. So I don't know what the spatial environment would be for sitting in a room with seven speakers and be able to hear a whole jungle for some sort of story. But maybe an enhancement like that is the new thing that people will catch on to. Alex? So I've been using Audible. I probably have four or 500 books in Audible. And, I, and I, I've been using it since uh, 1995 or 1996, so almost since its inception. It's the only way that I, read, I generally read books. Uh, and, uh, and so what I would say is that I don't read any fiction because I, I just don't find it to be compelling. Um, for, you know, it's not a compelling use of time. I'm usually just absorbing as much information as I can. I'm listening to it at 2x. I'm just kind of, you know, plowing through things on Audible. I will say that this is the first thing that I've heard that had me think, oh, it might be interesting to listen to a narrative, uh, you know, something, you know, in this area. And the, the thing that I think is, you know, a lot of times books are oftentimes playing to what we call the theater of the mind. And and being able to create those things and be able to hear them around you, I think could be really interesting. So you have different voices, but then you also have, you know, for these are for the high end narrative and you hear sound effects. You can imagine a Harry Potter where you hear everything all around you and you wouldn't hit, sit in a, in a room. You would it'll use binaural or, you know, you know, immersive, you know, spatial within the Apple iPhones and so on and so forth. But the idea is that you would hear this this whole thing happening all around you while you're hearing the book. I think it's a huge jump forward, and I think that it's going to. I think that it actually has me interested in listening to, to narrative books again. Than, and I haven't read a narrative book in forty years. Nigel, yeah, also a big Audible listener. A lot of fiction and nonfiction. On the fiction front, there typically are sort of three modes. I found there's the single reader, which is absolutely dependent on the skill of that reader to be the different voices. There's the sort of dual reader, which is typically a man and a woman, although it always slightly feels like they were recorded at completely different times in completely different studios and added together later. But the man speaks the man's part, the woman speaks the woman's part, for instance. And then you actually get multicast ones. And there are some incredible multicast Uh, things done on Audible. I should tell you, lots of them come from the BBC that has been doing this for a long time uh, as part of its Radio 4 uh, program. And I would tell you that there are producers like Dirk Maggs who are absolutely the experts at doing this, from the way he updated The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to some of the Marvel DC stuff. And I will tell you that if you listen to one of those on Audible, 
it's like going to the cinema where you get to pick what the picture looks like. They're really incredible. So there's a much broader range than just a single person reading a book. Okay, Courtney? Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for uh, uh, somebody like NPR, you know, to take their uh, This American Life and Radio Lab and putting them to uh, uh, the type of, uh, you know, Dolby Surround or Atmos where as they are now, they're really rich in sound effects and atmospherics, and they really establish the location each of the, the people are visiting or reporting from. And I think something like that would be a good application of Atmos. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I think that one of the things that we, we learned doing a lot of the Atmos work that I've done is that when you kind of tickle the brain from different locations, it, the brain builds a space. In, its, in your mind, you're, you, you build a space of what you're paying attention to because you heard something back here or you heard something over here and it makes the space feel bigger. It doesn't feel like it's in your head. Like most of the time when we listen to a book, it feels like it's in our head and it pulls us out into this world because you're, you're, you're constantly telling it there's something there. And I think that that's going to make the books feel very, very different. I also think to tie back to the last conversation, you're going to see these books get analyzed by AI over a not, not distant time. They won't be as good as the BBC, but a small publisher will be able to do these, you know, push a book into, into a system and get something with multiple voices and sound effects and everything else all appearing, you know, into it, which is, you know, 90, 80, 90% of the, the quality of, of a produced event. Jeffrey. Oh, I think it can go way past that. I, I was I was just brought back to the '70s when I was listening to the radio, and and we'd listen at we'd listen to those Star Wars episodes uh, on like ninety point one FM, and that was barely stereo at the time. But imagine if you could take a, a, a book like that or or an audio sound like that, and then all of a sudden turn it into something spatial. There's a lot of open source books. I read a few of them. I actually did a couple voices uh, in uh, at LibriVox which is an online website that does uh, public domain books. And you can read chapters and then post them up on, on there and they put it into, into the books and you can listen to the books, which is great. You add spatial to that and all of a sudden it's, it's a new experience. So I could see like the just going to the backlog and just kind of making new books and, and making new sounds, the Doctor Who stuff, as Nigel was talking about, if you've never heard one of those audiobooks before, uh, you should definitely uh, give yourself a treat. But I'm also thinking that we should lead by example, and maybe we should put together a team that is going to tackle an audiobook, something public domain, and then create something. We've got, you know, somebody like uh, uh, somebody like Greg that uh, deals with uh, with sound effects, and then just kind of put something together and show show what we can do. I'm with you, Jeffrey, and and I, I think that we could even take just get ChatGPT to write us something that's short and sweet and a whole story, and then just put it in as an example of just uh, so that we can play with the technical and we don't have to worry about any of the rights or anything else. And it'll be short; it'll be five minutes long, and and it could be fun. So let's talk about that. I I, th I was thinking the same thing when Jeffrey said it. I was like, that was really, just before Jeffrey said it. I was like, oh, we could do this thing, and then Jeffrey started talking about it. Yeah, we should do that. So we'll 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 talk more about building maybe a little team to to do a test. All right, office hours. Let's hold them to it. I'd like yep. to see that. Um, Mickey mentions, uh, weighs in from the chat, uh, mentioned the uh, budget aspect of things. He says a majority of the audio productions just don't have the budget for it as far as whether it's the future. But well, maybe that's, that's why I, I mentioned that 
eventually you'll pump the thing into AI and it will it will pump out the entire book. <laughs> like, like it, and it'll happen in about a minute and all the sound effects will be inserted and it will, you know, is it going to be as good as someone doing it by hand? No, it will not be as good as, as a production company that is doing it by hand. But will someone with no budget, you know, a little sci-fi um, thing be able to put something together that's very compelling? Probably. John? One of the guys on my team has written seven books on ChatGPT and has converted them using 11 labs and they're up in Audible and they're selling right now. So it's real straightforward to do. Fantastic. Let's go to our next question. It is from Gordon Lake from Los Angeles, California. Gordon says, I asked Google's Bard and ChatGPT the same question and not only was Bard's answer better, its format was presentation ready. Can Stream Deck be used to move responses over a graphic and into a show close to real time? Jeffrey? If I read that correct, well, first of all, Google Bard is in beta right now, of course. And, uh, and so it's very limited access. What you have to do is you have to go in and, and then give them your email and wait until they say you got access. Uh, and, and I totally agree. Uh, like I said, I wrote a whole article I thought was I could copy and paste that and it was ready for uh, publish, but I always want to put my own voice to what was re what was uh, put together. So I, I did a little bit of editing from there. Uh, putting it into something that Companion would use for a graphic in real time, you would have to figure out a way to copy and paste that to that graphic. Uh, Bard uh, doesn't have that functionality. Chat GPT might have a little bit better functionality to it because you can get ChatGPT through uh, third-party things like Discord. You can actually get a ChatGPT bot. Uh, so by doing that, there, there's a better chance of you being able to send something, uh, uh, results over into a graphic from there. But there's still going to be a lot of legwork that you're going to have to do before you can switch that over. John? I read that question totally differently. I thought that the question at the end was what um, our producer put into the prompt and said that Bard did better than ChatGPT. So I read that. From what I've seen, the people I know who use both, they've mostly said that ChatGPT or even uh, Microsoft Bing Chat, which is based on GPT-4, are vastly superior to Bard. So I think a lot of it has to do with how do you put the prompt in? And there are probably one of them might be more conversational or maybe more technical or maybe just connects better to the prompts you put in is my guess there. But um, what I've heard is most people prefer ChatGPT. Alex, did we have a did we come up with a better uh, phrase than diffusionist? I think someone had a <laughs> prompt engineer diffusionist. Prompt I think those are the, the ones we've been talking about. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think it, I think that the, the main thing is, is that um, we've experimented with it um, where we say, give me 10 questions that are about a subject give 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 them a name and an, and a and a city make the cities in multiple countries make the names appropriate to the to the um, location and you know and ask them as if i was a you know as if i was an expert or a novice or whatever and or a teacher and it will just go and just give you all of those in the, in whatever format you give you tell it to do um, one of the things we're experimenting with with uh, we show off Mukana a lot for clients. And what we think would be really great is for all the questions to be appropriate for that client, you know, so it'd be about the subject that that client was in. Usually I just have whatever, uh, you know, something has happened in the past in Mukana and I, and I use those and it's really hard to fill those all out so I can fill the entire system so they can see what it would look like when it was running. And so we're looking at integrating ChatGPT into Mukana so that we can, I can just say, I need you to give me 
a hundred questions about Mickey Mouse <laughs> or a hundred questions about about uh, airplanes or, or something like that and let it fill that so that when I'm doing a demo, I can have all of that there. So the the answer to this question, I don't know about BARD as much, but with ChatGPT, there's an API. And so you could have an API feeding, you know, just literally just building the data that's necessary for, for SPX or, or other graphics systems, um, just filling all that data in in JSON or in something else and just and just putting it in the format that's needed for the graphics and then be able to access it. So this is absolutely doable um, in that process. John? I, and I also think that as organizations start to use these tools, what you'll find is um, those organizations that use Microsoft products will stick to ChatGPT and Microsoft's implementation of it because then you don't have to worry about your employees putting information into the internet for everyone to see because you, um, they're going to be able to silo the information you're using in your organization's instance. And I think that will be a, a major deal for a lot of companies, especially those who deal with things like health information, that sort of, inf that sort of content. Next question. From Douglas Carmichael. Douglas says, ARM is talking about raising prices for licensing their chip architecture. Considering Apple has made an all-in bet on Apple Silicon as the future of the Mac, could this negatively affect the Mac platform in the future? Nigel. So uh, I believe Apple has an architecture license with ARM, which is a license it probably got to write itself and probably has its own terms and conditions unlike anybody else, which probably keeps it protected. I think it's worth considering that if you're going to build your own microprocessor, which is a complicated thing to do, you start with an instruction set. There really are two different choices, one called RISC, one called CISC, which is, RISC is the reduced instruction set, which is typically what an ARM system is, or, or RISC, uh, there's an open source RISC as well. Uh, and the other is the CISC, which is much more like an x86. You gotta pick one of those, and they're real hard to do. And you can't typically license x86, there's a lot of complexity around that. So you're gonna pick RISC, you're gonna pick open source RISC or ARM, you're gonna build an architecture license, then you do it the rest yourself. So I think if there was to be a restatement to that license, that architecture license, which I suspect nobody really knows what's in it, there would be a minor increase in price per unit. It would be a lot of money to ARM, but it wouldn't be a lot of money on a processor. And I think Apple probably has plenty of leeway in it. But I would also guess that, will you say they're all in? They're probably looking at the risk and uh, open risk and all the other ones at the same time, really understanding the difference in the variety. And it wouldn't surprise me at some point to see a blended model. Courtney? Yeah, um, Nigel covered a lot of the points. The uh, you know, when you think of Apple affecting Apple's uh, market, they're in a 43% or 42.7%, I think is their last year, profit margin on their hardware, on their computer hardware. So it's just a minuscule amount of the cost of producing each one of those MacBook Pros or uh, any of their computer hardware. And they do pay the licensing fee, but I doubt it would affect their bottom line in any way. A bigger uh, a bigger. Uh, market that will be affected will be Android because Risk Five, which is uh, what Nigel spoke of as open architecture, is without license, and it says here that uh, Google wants to uh, move Risk Five into uh, Tier One Android architecture. So for Android architecture, uh, it's going to be very effective. So this is the the really cheap. There's very little profit margin on these Risk boards. And uh, these are the boards that are going to compete with uh, the Raspberry Pi. They're just now getting into the market using this uh, RISC-V open architecture. So uh, that could, could mean a lot uh, cheaper uh, single board computers out there. 
uh, that don't have to pay that licensing fee. And so that ARM increasing their license licensing fee may eventually eliminate them from the uh, the single board computer market. John? Yeah, if the price increase substantially changes Apple's cost of goods sold, they'll raise their prices to maintain the margins they need. Um, they're still probably saving money on designing their own chips than they would purchasing the chips from another company, company directly. Jeffrey? So the biggest, uh, the reason why this is gonna, this is all happening is because uh, Qualcomm bought a company called Nuvia. Qualcomm was ARM's biggest uh, chip manufacturer. And with this Nuvia chip, which is a uh, onboard type chip, it could change the way that they uh, they have a contract with ARM. So therefore, uh, ARM would start working, be working in the uh, in the red. And so they have to uh, make up somewhere. Apple does help with ARM chip. And of course, NVIDIA with their new uh, their new line of servers with the dual ARM chips, that's definitely going to help with the uh, with the uh, production. But they got to figure out costs somewhere. So there's a little bit of change in the landscape. Uh, I think it'll work itself out. And yeah, there'll always be a price increase. There's just no way around that. Next question. Paul Terry Walhos from Austin, Texas wants to know, what do you do with your headphones and your headphone cord when you're not wearing them? TJ? Uh, for my regular cans, the, the bigger ones, uh, I just set them on my desk and have the cord loosely coiled. I don't, I don't ever wrap it around the... Um, the headphones or anything like that. And for my in-ear monitors, which tend to have much thinner, more delicate cables, I actually lay them out. I, I sort of drape them over a box and so that the cable just hangs loose uh, down uh, towards the floor and nothing is putting any pressure on the cable. Courtney? Yeah, I also take my IEMs and just lay them over the uh, top of my ATEM and my mixer uh, when I'm not using it so it's stretched out. Uh, for the headphones like the the v6s here uh that fold up nicely the suggestion from sony of course it comes with the coiled cord which is the nemesis of everyone and the suggestion it comes in a little bag with a little drawstring on it and the weight they suggest to put it in there is to start with the connector and you lower that into the bag and then lower the connect lower the coiled cord in first and the last thing to go in are the headphones and that keeps the cord out of the way it keeps it untangled and when you pull them out of the bag, the headphones come out first, and then the cord feeds out naturally and doesn't get tangled. Jeffrey? Check out a company called Vivo, V-I-V-O. They have a lot of great uh, devices that hook over a desk. This one is actually a, uh, a cup mount, which, uh, which can do different types of cups. This, this coffee cup right here, actually fits into here, which is great. But you also have it for headphones. I have a pair down in the basement that's holding my headphones and actually a couple other cords as well. That's the big problem with those is, is they become a, a cord holder for all your cords. And uh, But uh, the best part about those headphone holders is they'll flip around so you can put the headphones in, flip it underneath the desk, and then they're not in the way. And then when you need it, just uh, turn it around and pull out your headphones, put them on, you're good to go. V-I-V-O is the company, by the way. Nigel? So I have a very expensive solution to some of these problems from my kitchen cabinet. So this has a magnet on it, and this has a drawer on it. 
and this magnet sticks to my uh, mic arm and I either put my angry audio breakaway thing in there or I put something in that or I put the speakers, the headphones over those and I found these a very simple and convenient way if uh, you attach them to your mic stand but don't operate them while you're trying to talk on it. I have the angry audio as well, Nigel. Are you tempted, since you have that connector, to buy a few extra to be able to change out different things you want to plug into them? So I tend to use the angry audio with my in-ear monitors, uh, which I use most of the day. I have a, an in-ear that does this. I use, uh, when I'm doing office hours, I actually use these in linsoles. I have them connected to um, you know, the road go-to so I can move around and do things in the morning. When I'm at my mix, I have a set of uh, hardwired cans that just stand on the side. And uh, Mickey from chat uh, reminds us not to forget about over-under for our straight-wrapped cables. And of course, sometimes you can disconnect some of the IEMs from their cord when stowing them. Let's go to our next question. Mark Steele from Orlando, Florida asks, Yesterday's Gray Matter with iJustine illustrated a perfect example of why Alex makes users wanting to join office hours in Mukana jump through a few hoops. There were a couple of users flooding the chat with garbage for about 10 minutes. Thoughts? Alex, I I don't think it was ten minutes, um, but but it might have been. But I, I think it was it felt like an eternity because it was happening. But I think it was only three to five minutes that we had that problem, maybe even less. Um, but the uh, we, you know, I talked to Justine before the show, and I said, "Hey, I'd like to do a pod. Like, can you tweet this out so that I can test the system against?" Um, uh, you know, stress. And so that was done. It was very, and I told her there's a 30% chance it'll be amazing. There'll be a 30% chance it'll be meh. And there'll be a 40% chance it'll be a flaming fireball. And it, and it, uh, and for the most part, it was, uh, it was, it worked out really well. We got some great questions. We got great interaction. Uh, we did get attacked by some folks in China. Um, and uh, we were able to tamp it down. There, what, what was great was, is that they were very kind to show us some, um, some, uh, a gap in our system <laughs> that we were able to, we're now working on closing up. And so you'll see us doing more tweet outs and so on and so forth with the Michael, with Michael Krasny's gray matter. Uh, occasionally um, we'll do another one next week. I'll just do the tweet. I'm not going to have, but we'll have, we have Walter Merch on next week. And so I'll probably tweet it out a little bit. What we'll tend to do is send it. We're doing kind of a system where we send it out to everyone in gray matter, as well as office hours, uh, to get in there, get your questions asked early, so that if anything goes wrong, uh, we already have all the questions that we need. <laughs> so, so, and and you know, so before we tweet it out to the public, we're getting, we're kind of letting the gray matter gr uh, uh, group as well as the as well as the office hours group get in there, ask your questions, vote on the questions. We then archive those to make sure that <laughs> we can grab them if anything, you know, anything horrible happened. Nothing happened. I mean, Justine's what happened. You will see we did make it a little easier. There's a splash page that you could go to, and we're we're kind of really working on, and we're figuring out how to put video into the into the mobile version. It's there. It's hidden if you actually go to the mobile version or go to the if you open up the full version on your phone and then go up. And you'll see video. And if you click on video or answered, you'll see a video on the screen. So we're trying to figure out how to integrate that. Anyway, so you'll see a bunch of movement there. Um, so it was a little bit of a garbage. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. <laughs> and so they were kind enough not to do anything really horrible, but show us that there was a weakness that we hadn't seen before. Um, so, so that's what we're going to do. And, and we're doing it specifically to harden the system as we get ready to make it more available is to harden it outside of everybody's good people, you know, and, but it does show you how we've been able to kind of hide, 
you know, by making things hard to get into, we've had very few problems um, in this process. But there were some defense mechanisms that were built into that are built into office hours that um, not office hours, but Mukana that were very effective. We were able to finally just clip the you know clip the users, close the event, so that no one no one knew could come in, and uh, and that. That was a pretty effective. Unfortunately, we cut a couple people out that had been that had left for a second, then couldn't get back in. So we're we're working on a bunch of different things that that we can do to make that that a lot better. But it was a really interesting experience and a great conversation with uh, Justine. Well, speaking about questions, questions are what drive our show. Feel free to vote on the questions that you want to see answered most. And um, feel free to put in the questions for our second hour discussion, just coming up in another 20 minutes, where we'll talk about education and also maybe what you learned uh, from office hours on that note. Let's go to our next question. Craig McFarlane wants to know, when there are two people on the screen, would it help to slightly bump the left channel for the left speaker and the same for the right? Alex? We have been talking about doing that, um, leaning leaning the, 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 the even in this panel, what we're thinking about is we know where everybody is because Isadora is setting those all up in the super sources. We could spread everybody out so that they're talking and you kind of hear it there. And we've experimented with a little bit, especially as it relates to 5.1. We're not sure how much we're going to do that. Blue Jeans does that right now and uses Dolby's uh, Atmos to kind of spread people out. But the problem with blue jeans is, is that it randomly throws people into, it doesn't know where everybody is. And, you know, so it doesn't, it kind of randomly throws people. So it's really weird to have one person over here who's coming out of this speaker. So I think that what part of what will make that work is if we can pull that together, where the, where they are in the screen affects where they are in the speakers. And I, and I do think from the experience, experiments we've done already, subtlety will be the important part, <laughs> like slightly one way or slightly the other. Next question. Craig McFarland wants to know, I need new in-ear monitors. Any recommendations up to $300 or so? TJ? Um, I actually have three different pairs of in-ear monitors. Um, I have the Linsoles, which a lot of people have uh, based on George Whittam's recommendation. And they're pretty good with the comply foam. They do tend to block out a lot of sound and they sound pretty decent. Um, I also have a pair of Ear Heroes that are a bit more discreet. Um, however, the sound quality of those uh, tends, because it's really geared more towards voice, um, it's kind of re really mid-rangey sounding because again, it's, it's kind of designed for uh, security or law enforcement and they really need to hear voice and it needs to kind of cut through. And then the third pair, which is a recommendation from Alex Knight, um, are these Westone Pro X30 um, in-ear monitors, which I'm wearing right now. And they sound fantastic as far as a full range of um, highs to lows. And they're very discreet. They're actually more discreet, um, you know, almost than my uh, ear heroes. The cable is very thin on these things. Um, and I'm really liking these a lot. And all of Alex. them are less than $300. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I think it depends on what you're trying to do with them. And so are you listening to music or are you doing this sh a show like this or you're on Discord? Um, I find that the, the Linsoles have been really successful for me um, for this show. Uh, and and I, I, I haven't really found ones above these that I've really liked for a long time under $300. I, there's some that I like 
at eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand dollars, but the but three hundred to five hundred, or three hundred to eight hundred has not been has been or has been kind of a no man's land for me. So so I I haven't really figured that out. So the lintels have been fine for being on Zoom. I will say, be careful with the complies. Uh, I bought ones that said that they were designed for the lintels specifically, and they broke the lintels when I put them on. <laughs> so so it was so be careful of uh, being gentle with them and figuring out exactly. We got we have to figure out which ones match which ones because they the Amazon is not accurate. Yeah, I believe uh, Linsol is the uh, vendor. Uh, the KZ, ZS, uh, some of them are using ZS10, ZS10 Pros. The nice thing is if you get them from some other retailers, you can get them even cheaper than Amazon. And try a few out. See, what you, see what you think. The ones there are, there is, you have to pay attention to all the little details that are in there. The, the, the $50 one is the one that I'm using. The ones that are $130 are actually very uncomfortable for me to wear. And the ones that we did have a discussion about the ones that were like $25 and they sound like they're underwater. So, so they're, they, the price does, I mean, I, the look at the ones that you just want to be kind of careful of which ones you buy there. There is like a myriad of those little yeah. qualifiers after each of them. And I find I use um, this one. They don't sound as good as um, the one that have more drivers that I found um, with them. The And I have some uh, of the 10 Pros, the ZX10 uh, Pros, which also sound better. But these suffice and they're they're less of uh, less visible uh, is another factor that you might have as far as which one you're using if you're on camera. Let's go to our next question. From James Babbitt in San Diego. Please say more about putting a chat GPT bot in Discord. Is a chat GPT subscription required? John? Uh, food for thought. The the API for chat GPT for GPT-4 is not available yet. So, And there's a significant difference between 3.5 and 4.0. If you want to use 4.0 for free right now, I suggest you use Bing. Jeffrey? So to do uh, actually bring any bot into uh, into Discord, you you basically just have to invite it to the server that you're going through. I love this because I can create my own private server, and even though the conversations aren't back and forth privately, like for instance Midjourney, uh, unless you have a uh, subscription tier that does that, uh, you at least have a place to find all your previous uh, Midjourneys and ChatGPTs. Uh, so I put the link of where you would go, the exact link on how to find this. These are all the chat GPT uh, inserts that you can, or bots that you can put into whatever Discord server. Just uh, watch it and because and, these are not official. Uh, they're all created by third parties. And so you just want to watch a little bit, make sure that the one that you put in there is not going to either try to steal your data or or do something that can harm things. So, uh, but uh, that's basically how you do it. Courtney? And also, it doesn't necessarily have to do with the Discord, perhaps, but the, you know, ChatGPT just announced a plugin architecture that they're going to implement just a couple of days ago. It's not uh, live yet. Uh, you can join the wait list. But this architecture allows you to uh, do things like uh, bring in Expedia information or, or other types of data into a GPT uh, search engine. A kayak, for example, for arranging uh, room reservations, or open table for looking for uh, 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 reservations at restaurants, etc. And these kind of plugins uh, now will be available within the GPT architecture, and I think that's going to change a lot of stuff uh, uh, very rapidly as soon as that launches into the into the wild. Next question. 
from Simon Ray in Midlands, UK. Simon says, when trying to sign up to the BARD waitlist, it's insisting I sign in from a personal account rather than workspace account. The account I am signed in with is my personal non-workspace account. Is there any way to get BARD to accept this? Alex? Yeah, I'd like to know whether, and I don't know the answer to this, I'd like to know whether it, when you say it's a personal account, is it something that you've put your own URL into and it's your personal account, or whether it's a, a an absolute Gmail account? Um, so you, I think it probably needs an absolute Gmail account, but I'm not not 100% sure. Jeffrey? That's what I'm thinking too. Unless, uh, and, and to Alex's point, is this, an, is this an email? Like for instance, I have a Geekazine email that is actually a Google account. Will that work or not? I'll have to test that. But uh, when I use my Gmail account, it's fine. Keep in mind, once again, this is in a uh, in, in a very tight beta. So it's, they're probably, they'll open it up eventually, but right now they probably want to keep it as best as possible and uh, try a Gmail account and to get in and test it out. Next question. Devin Podmore from London says, I use Luna Display to flip or reverse my iPad 12-inch for use in a teleprompter. However, I'm having stability issues when starting and arranging displays on my 2019 16-inch MacBook Pro and BenQ 4K monitor. Any ideas? Alex? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of what the answer is here, but I will say that one of the problems you get into when you're an early adopter to something, whether it's a developer or the person buying that software, is that they got ahead and used libraries or tools within the system that were not the way Apple was going to do it, you know, down the road. And Apple has uh, built um, built its own way of doing this now. And so I think that one of the things you're going to have trouble with is that they're probably depreciating some of the bits and pieces inside the OS um, that would allow, that that is probably problematic for Luna um, because they're not, because they have their own um, way of connecting all of these devices. And so Luna is probably because it was ahead of time. We've seen this in a lot of different software. Uh, you know, uh, Playback Pro is a good example. They took way, the huge advantage of really giving you the full technical access to the screens and everything else, but as the operating system updated and moved forward, they couldn't keep up with everybody else who was just using the libraries Apple gave them. And so you you, you have to be very careful when you hack things at, with a Mac OS system because Apple doesn't care about backwards compatibility. So you get into something, you get something working, and it just starts slowly unwinds. And I think that's probably what you're experiencing now. You probably could use, if you're using a more modern, ar 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 um, uh, if you're using Ventura, you, even though there's a lot of things I don't like about it, you should find that you can seamlessly move between Apple devices. Uh, you know, if they're all up to date, you can seamlessly move through all of them relatively effectively. Got Gordon? As far as teleprompter reversal screens go, I, I'm really against doing it in software or, you know, in the uh, 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 display drivers of the device itself, like from your iPad. I, I prefer using a monitor where you can reverse... Uh, the image in the monitor. That way you can have correct reading on some monitors and then monitors that are into a uh, mirror, you can have them reversed all from the same feed. Uh, I found these EYOYO monitors, which is a funny name, E-Y-O-Y-O. -Y -O. Uh, they make a lot of security monitors and they make some great, we use these in a lot of teleprompters because they have uh, all have uh, left-right mirroring built into the monitor itself, and they all have a variety of inputs, including HDMI, composite video, component video, and uh, VGA. So uh, they work quite well, as, and they're not too expensive, so uh, you can find them out there. 
uh, as a good solution for a teleprompter monitor without having to to deal with the software incompatibility of trying to reverse it in your uh, in your iPad or your or your computer. Not a thought, Alex. Yeah, and most if you're using actual teleprompt software, the teleprompt software should be able to flip it in the software. If it can't, don't, don't, don't use it. <laughs> like, like, don't. I mean, I saw someone use Word for teleprompting. I was like, that's not, you know, like that's not that doesn't work. So, I, I've never used a piece of teleprompt software that can't do it. Like, I, I maybe you know, it's um, that doesn't do it on the outside. So, I don't, I don't know how that would work. Um, to make that happen. Courtney might be able to instruct that to me, but the problem is you can't do what Courtney's doing because he's trying to do it to an, a 12-inch iPad. So he's trying to get it out to an iPad, so there's not going to be any way to to do it there, um, you know, if he's if that's what he's using there. But I, 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 all the software that I use on the Mac for teleprompting has a button that just flips the, you know, flips it without any, and even my software, the software that works with Makana, you just push one button and it just reverses all the text. Courtney? Yeah, and like I mentioned, the problem with that is the operator has to read the text correctly, so off of the, off of the duplicate feed. But uh, it, it can reverse, software can reverse the feed on an external monitor, but that feed then is all reversed. So if you want to send that external feed that goes out, other than your LCD feed that's in your laptop, to multiple monitors, for X, perhaps for something over the shoulder or for the producer to look at, it's all going to be reversed there. So if you're not going to be going into a mirror on everything, that's why having the software reverse it really is is not a, a good workable mm-hmm. idea unless you're just running your own teleprompter and you're the only one viewing it. Yeah, the software that we've used, the operator still sees it regular. The external monitor goes reversed. Um, and we've, I guess we've just never needed you're, you're, You do more complicated teleprompting than we do. We we have a teleprompter operator who's operating something in a teleprompter sitting you know, either remotely or, or there and it's just them seeing it. So, yeah, and Courtney, um, I've checked. I think I've checked out that brand. What's the largest uh, monitor that they make? Uh, do they make one larger than twelve make, inches? Oh yeah, they make fifteens and seventeens. Okay, and they do. do that. And most flipping? of them, are, they do make uh, four by three monitors, which are used for security monitor, and they're not real high resolution. But you don't re- need real high lo- resolution for teleprompting unless you're using it just for as a uh, you know, in Teratron that has something other than just a person's image on it. You know, if you're using it as a computer monitor or something with with fine text on it, you don't really need that. Because in teleprompting, you're doing, you know, 85-point text, so it doesn't matter that it's, you know, not, it's 1280 by 720 or so on. When I originally uh, ventured out to flip the, I'm using a teleprompter of my own device, and it's 16 inches, and when I looked for, um, I first wanted uh, Courtney's solution of having it flip itself, and I couldn't find anything 16.9 because I wanted to put a full uh, screen in there that would do it, um, unfortunately, for that size. Um, so I use, since I use OBS anyway, I can flip and custom make whatever the, I use mine more as an Interatron, so just to keep eye contact as opposed to actually serving me. Uh, teleprompted content, but that's helpful if you are already using uh, Vision Mixing software. You can flip and rotate just the part that goes to that screen and external output. All software uh, caveats apply. Next question. Douglas Carmichael is in. In an article about transitioning back to in-person sports production, it mentioned getting younger staff on the road and in the truck benefited them professionally. Why could that be? And will remote first win in future due to rising costs? Go ahead, John. 
It helps you build relationships with people when you're driving in the, across the country with them for many, many hours, and that having relationships at work helps your career. Dave? I've worked in a lot of production trucks, and it's the cohesion of the team. And you won't believe it, but doing production of live sports and that is a team sport, and everyone feeds off each other's energy. Uh, they learn to trust each other. They learn to understand the other person's tension level. And you all learn that professional level of stay even and let the show continue. Don't worry about what just happened. Um, I, I think it benefits anyone new to the business to be in a truck for a while and spend time with the team, travel on the road with them, follow what everyone does, and you all get better together. Uh, of course, there's always the person who doesn't like being in close quarters with other people, but that's a choice they have to make. I think, you know, the article, I, I haven't read it, uh, probably refers to that new people in the workforce need to have mentors and they need to see how the whole operation works. And if you do that remotely, the energy isn't shared. The, the people don't get the energy from someone else's contribution. And there's a little bit of high-fiving and celebration when a show is over that we all did a great job and that that was an outstanding performance that some cameramen did. So I, I think it's very beneficial. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, it, I think that a, a lot of people can work remotely. I think the problem really is with physical events. If you're interacting with a physical event, you kind of need to understand what's happening there. It's really easy for you to make up models of things that just aren't accurate to what's actually happening when you see it in a box, when you're actually there. We have a lot of issues. We've been doing virtual events, of course, for more than 10 years. And you have producers that are off site that unless they until they've been on site, they're like, I don't understand why no one's responding to me. or I don't understand why they didn't they couldn't just do this. I don't understand why. And after you've been on the show, you understand that there's a whole bunch of things that were happening at that moment. You understand what the challenges are in the in the field so that when you're remote, you can dance with that more effectively. Um, so I think that it's, I think it is important. And, you know, most people that end up in those trucks, I mean, they worked in those trucks as running cables and wiring things for a decade, sometimes before they got to do anything, you know, real. So, um, so I think that it's a, uh, it, it, it is an important part of uh, learning how all those things work on the ground. I think that you will see more virtual remote production that doesn't exist anywhere and never will. And in those cases, I don't know if people need to be somewhere because there won't be anywhere to be, but probably not with sports. Next question. Douglas Carmichael wants to know what techniques have worked to help keep emotionally charged conversations with customers or coworkers, for example, on an even keel. Dr. Clark. Well, I, I think that uh, when the uh, temperature starts to rise, people who are pushing the tension want to be understood and taken seriously. So some of the things I've, some of the language I've used in situations like that to keep things on an even keel, as Douglas asks, is to say thank you first. Thank you for your, your contribution, what you just said. And you could take it farther by saying, as I understand what you're saying, this is, this is what I understand you to be saying. So that uh, kind of active listening technique helps the uh, speaker to uh, believe that you actually heard and understood or gives an opportunity to, to correct or fine tune the message that you received. Um, finally, um, 
I've been in situations where uh, someone has uh, pushed a set of ideas that uh, aggressively that are uh, different from my own. And instead of attacking or being defensive, um, what I like to say is, thank you. And I, I see it a little bit differently. And then I have my turn in framing the issue or the debate um, in a way that uh, makes sense to me. So you're not attacking the other position directly. You're saying, yes, and there's another way to look at it. And here's here's my version of a way to look at it. Of course, John? it helps to be calm yourself. Oops, sorry, Dr. Clark. Go ahead, John. Yeah, in customer service training, I recommend we use a technique called triangulation. It looks something like this. Usually when you think about a relationship, you think of two people. And when they're in conflict, you think of a conflict showing up between them like this. And it blocks your barrier to communication. When that happens, though, you're viewing the other person through the conflict and you dehumanize them and you distort your picture of who they are. A better technique we like to do is called triangulation, where you recognize the conflict as a different thing than the two different people. You come alongside together and you both look at that conflict and you try to solve it as a pair instead of trying to attack each other. That's a technique used in various forms of family systems theory, and that's what I recommend my agents do. Nigel. All good, all good advice. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is at some point, if that person's amygdala hijacks their brain and they go off the end, you are going to be able to do nothing for the next 20, 30 minutes to solve that problem. And so sometimes the best answer is to disengage and come back later. Let's go to our next question. And our final question for the first hour, Tommy Chance from St. Paul, Minnesota. What would be a good monitor to mount to the lid of a Pelican case? Jeffrey? I would never mount a monitor straight to the Pelican case because if something happens, you could easily sit on a Pelican case and all of a sudden that spiders the mo whatever monitor you choose. What I highly recommend is getting something like this. It's upside down. It's called the Vivo mount. And yeah, I talked about Vivo twice today. This is awesome. Uh, Vivo makes these. Uh, these are basically mounts for monitors. They, uh, they can, you can put a VESA on here. You don't need to put a VESA on the Pelican. But the best part is you can remove whatever monitor. These little production 15.6 inch monitors. This is one from Innocent. That's also a touch screen. Uh, can be easily put into this uh, into this VESA mount uh, adapter, or you can also get yourself an iPad. And uh, if you've got uh, something, if you work on the Mac uh, uh, line, you can use the iPad with uh, something like Duet that will go into a Mac Mini, and then all of a sudden that becomes a touch screen monitor for uh, for whatever you're doing. So, but I would not put the monitor directly onto the Pelican case. I'd use something like this. Thank you, Jeffrey. And as TJ mentioned, that was our last first hour question. So stay tuned. We're going to switch right into our education hour topic. Before we do, we'd just like to remind everyone that uh, our email uh, is out with our next week's topic. We have a fantastic lineup. We have guests, Bryn Drescher and Cheryl Otten, uh, Ottenritter. If you'd like to find out about their expertise, go ahead and check out the email. Also, green screen, green screen and video playout will be the topics we'll be discussing next week. John, what's up for our education hour? 
Thanks, Josh. Today, we'll be taking a look back on the last three years with an emphasis on the interaction between office hours and the educational world. If you think about it, office hours is primarily a knowledge transfer platform, which is just a fancy way of saying it's an educational institution in some respects. We have a couple of our longtime educational panelists back for a visit, so we'll have a chance to check in with them and see how they, they've been doing. As always, our direction is set by our producers. So producers, make sure you put in your questions into Mukana and vote for those questions you want to hear first. To start, what I'd like to do is have our panelists share what have you learned over the past three years, especially as a result of office hours, and what has office hours contributed to that learning? Go ahead, Alex. I think just the one thing that I wanted to set up was that is that uh, office hours is very much built for education. <laughs> like like that was what it was. That was part of the design was to figure a bunch of things out, um, and uh, you know also collect a lot of people that would be interested in that type of thing. And the the reason that we really focused one of the things about office hours is having this discussion is this is one of the hardest things to do in a classroom. So there's a lot of other things that, you know, uh, there's, there's curriculum and there's, there is, um, there's, but how do you figure out how to have the actual class of the discussion about questions and so on and so forth? How do you build the tools that are necessary to have that, that be something that can be done? And so, you know, office hours has tackled that in a lot of ways of figuring this out over the last three years. And I've learned, you know, immense amount about, you know, and about how that works. Um, we've uh, developed, you know, it was one of those things that we, we you know, Makana has long existed before office hours, but uh, I got to a point and I didn't want to intermingle those things because I was like, it's, it's a business <laughs> on its own. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh, I just don't want to, I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to do something with it or whatever. And I don't want to put it in there. But the question system in Zoom was so, uh, rudimentary, uh, that I just couldn't take it any longer. So we tried for a while to not do that. And I just, I was like, I can't, I have this great tool. It's like you have a Ferrari in the house and, you know, in, in the, in the garage and you're driving this little Yugo around and you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, and finally I just was like, I just got to take, take the Ferrari out. <laughs> you know, so, and, um, and uh, so I just couldn't take it any longer and put the, and, and put it in. And it's made, what I, what has really happened is it's made a huge difference. All the input from everybody has made a huge difference in how Makana runs and what's possible and how it, how it does what it does from everybody that, that and we've learned a lot from it uh, it wasn't again it wasn't something that i wanted to do in the beginning but i'm really glad that i did um to make that happen and it's been it's been huge and how we run classes now i mean i, I can imagine these classes like math classes and so on and so forth with 20 teachers or 10 teachers all able to a answer those questions taking so much pressure off of a single one and potentially allowing that to be thousands of students um you know using use you know being part of one singular conversation and so I think that the, it's going to be a really interesting possibility as we move forward. Yeah, and I think, Alex, you've spoken before about how you started Office Hours because you wanted to learn something new. You wanted to learn how to use Zoom. <laughs> I, had to use and, Zoom. I, I was like, I don't know how to use this thing. You know, like, it, and I'd been using Hangouts for so long. And and so it was one of those things, like, I I think I, I, I couldn't get the, yeah, anyway. Uh, I may go off air for a second and see if I can find this video. I know I have it. I have the the, the opening of 325 um, that I I don't think I've shown anybody since 325. Um, and uh, but it was I look back on it and it was like yeah I'm just trying to figure out how to use this Zoom thing. Um, and uh, anyway, so it it is so I I did it because I needed to figure out Zoom. We have clients that are coming up that we need to know how it runs. I knew everyone was going to have trouble with. Uh, I knew everyone was going to have trouble with doing virtual events. Like I was like the first couple hundred that I did were not very great. <laughs> we survived them, but they weren't. And I was like, I can save people a lot of time doing that. I can figure out this. I can also be collecting people that I can 
work with. As this demand expands, I need to be able to find more people. I need to be able to, you know, figure this thing, this thing out. And so, um, and, and, and I really wanted physical events to go away. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, because <laughs> I feel like it excludes a huge part. I fundamentally feel like it excludes a huge part of the world. And we, we it's, you know, and, and I think that, that the future of the world is connecting everyone together. And so, and so I think that that was, those were some of the reasons that we got started uh, and, and how we built it. Yeah, and like so many things that teachers do, teachers figure out how to get things done. They have a need, they learn to scratch, and then they figure out how to share it with others. Dave, what's uh, your experience? I, I go back a little bit to uh, my sister was a producer of a, a TV show that was on every afternoon called Homework Hotline, and it was using the phone to access teachers. And there were a team, I think there were eight teachers who were on various curriculum subjects. And you could bring your homework question to them, and they would guide you through what you needed to learn to answer that. And that disappeared because of funding issues and, and of course, popularity issues. But when I saw office hours appear, I kind of saw it as a different kind of homework hotline in that it had people who really knew what they were talking about, which is, you know, what is the education side. But you also had a lot of people who needed quick answers. And this was one of the new media things that I thought was happening here is that you had now an encyclopedia of people and you could ask them anything. Now, of course, we're all talking now about machines doing that for us. But for the interim, this is a structured, organized and daily exposure to people who have all kinds of expertise, experience and, and insight. And they're from all over the world, which, of course, struck me as, as quite imposing handling the global aspect of this is is what we're going to grapple with for the next year or so. Um, I Yeah, I, I've changed a few of my ideas about what the usefulness of this is since I've started participating in it. But when I first heard of it, yeah, I thought it was just another one of these homework hotline things. Interesting. I came because it was a homework hotline. Dr. Clark, what's yours? Before um, office hours and before I was aware of it, um, my work as a professor was primarily involved with uh, creating what I called learning community, uh, shifting from the lecture mode to uh, a much more collective, interactive, uh, peer-driven uh, forum for learning and making sense of experience. And when, and my bias was that that would be very difficult or impossible to accomplish that kind of a community uh, remotely that I could I had learned how to do it in a in a 50 seat or a 20 seat seminar room but uh, I figured uh, it really wouldn't work uh, using video of the the forms of video that were available at the time and now, um, with two two plus years of experience in office hours, um, I've found that off the office hours community is a real community, and we have many many examples of that um, from each of our own experiences. But it's it's kind of been a demonstration case that genuine community, with all of its strengths and possibilities, uh, is possible even when the uh, most of the individuals have never met each other in person. So that's, that's the big, big idea for me. 
It always starts with the human connection. And one of the reasons why I got more involved in office hours was I was in the chat one day, probably spouting something about how terrible learning styles are or something. And then our next panelist, Roscoe, asked me, why don't you join us in after hours and share some of your thoughts? And so I did and kind of got sucked in. Roscoe? <laughs> well, yeah, this is, uh, thank you. It's a great resource. And for me, you know, COVID hit and I'm in the performing arts. And uh, what do you do? And so uh, I was looking for resources, came across this one, and I'll never forget a meeting I had with Jeff, 1F Jeff, 2F Jeff, and 3F Jeff. And that was, I, I got all this great advice about putting together PTZ cameras. Uh, the, I think it was the Panasonic uh, UE-150s. Were, I didn't know about them, but they said, no, that's the one you want. And so we put in this grant and said, we need money. And the university said, here's a quarter million dollars. Have at it. I had never seen that kind of money ever. Ever. So having this and having these people here that just made sure that even though it's a lot of money, you still want to, it rarely comes and you want to spend it really well. And so just everyone here was so giving of their knowledge, um, their time, you know, to sit in meetings that were specific to me, you'd go, you know, you'd go off in these little meetings and they were just great. So that's my memories. And then how giving this community is still to this day of what they know and how freely they uh, offer it. Thank you. Tony, what's your experience? I don't know where to start, really and truly. And I'm being sincere when I say that because there's so much that Office Hours has mean to me and the communities in which I work with. Um, I, I just want to say to Alex, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I think the fact that Conversation with Tony Mobley is now 91 plus episodes. And a lot of you have participated in those conversations. Those conversations have had 4,000 views and they've had 20 views. And even the 20 views conversation was a meaningful conversation. And it was only because of this community and that I would, was able to ask questions. But I think more importantly for me is the fact that a small congregation of individuals primarily in their 60s and up are able to have worship services together in Zoom. And they're able to have those worship services in a meaningful way. Not only are they continuing to have those worship services, they are now broadcasting those worship services on YouTube. Not only are they broadcasting those worship services on Zoom and YouTube, they are now actually going to be doing a live performance in a making theater of their Easter program. And it is only because of office hours that this small local church with a lot of senior, a lot of senior citizens are able to do this. And we haven't figured it all out, but that's, that's, that's good because I get to ask the office hours community more questions about how to figure this out, how to get this production off the ground. And so I'm going to be reaching out to Roscoe 
for some help on making on making this the best that it can be. But there are just so many different things. And this idea of a community where people, where no one is left behind, is a real one. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the friendships, the interactions. Last Sunday, Liberty White was at my house, and we had some barbecue. And it was pretty good. And we had fellowship. And uh, all of the friends that, that I've had an opportunity to meet and greet um, through office hours and the global friendships that I had, people I've never met, but are as close to me as a, a brother or a very close dear friend. So um, I could keep going, but I'm going to stop there. But I, I just want to say to Alex and, and this community as a whole, thank you for allowing people who you would not have ordinarily had a chance to interact with prior to the pandemic. Thank you for allowing us to be able to connect with one another. Thanks, Tony. I think you're a good example of the accessibility of this community. And Josh? Yeah, I can... Um, uh, at my my own experience, the education really is the reason that uh, I found office hours. Uh, when the pandemic started, I started taking up work in virtual production, and I thought to myself, like, you know, this really low friction uh, onboarding environment through, for Zoom is great, but I wanted to do more than just a, a plain vanilla Zoom meeting. And when I started thinking about all the different possibilities of how to put that together, it wasn't long before I realized, I'm sure I'm not the first person <laughs> to think about this. Surely there's someone out there that has figured this out better. And so I looked around and that's where I found um, Zoom Test Kitchen uh, with Jeff Widgren and uh, found those groups. And of course, the the communities kind of mesh before it's only so long before you wind up in the office hours swirl from there. So um, found out about uh, the Zoom ISO communities, uh, using ATEMS, uh, vMix, and, and, and the like. So um, it's been a real eye-opener for me. Um, I would say, um, come for the education, stay for the community. Thanks, Josh. And I joined Office Hours, uh, like I said, as a result of watching those um, second, uh, being in the educational hour on Saturday mornings. But before that, when I first watched, I heard on uh, some podcast, I think it was probably MacBreak, that Alex was going to be talking about how to build a studio. And I thought, well, that's something I want my office to have a better studio because I teach classes virtually for my work. And so I watched a couple of shows just about studio building at first. And then there were some questions that came in in the first half that were about voiceover. And I thought, wow, this could help me explain why my voiceover for the animated cartoon uh, I'm trying to build an animated training video is so terrible. And so I learned a lot about mic technique and how why my mic was bad, and I ended up getting my first microphone. Um, and then from there, I just learned, I would just watch at least the questions every single day to see if there's something I could learn and implement at work. And, you know, I've learned a lot from there, and I'm sure that'll come up in our future questions, but that's what kept me coming was practical needs that I had solved uh, by this great group of panelists. We're going to dive in next up. Oh, yeah, go and dive in next to our next question. Dave, what is that? Our next question comes from OG1, that is Grant Whitehead in Adelaide, Australia. He's OG1 because he was the first person to sign up to Office Hours. Happy birthday, Office Hours. My life, both professionally and personally, is significantly better because of this community. 
Thanks for continuing to show up. What is some technical advice you have changed over the last three years of Office Hours? Go ahead, Harshid. So technically, uh, you should use a better microphone if your microphone isn't sufficing for you. So this community has taught me a lot with uh, just the basis of what sound is, and now I've eaten the red pill, so to speak, and can't listen to anything else that doesn't sound great. So the technical aspects, I think, is even though you start at a little place, a little room, studio, always there's room for improvement. And if you take that technicality uh, piece and put it a little bit to the side, you have more time to work with the overall picture. Um, we all sometimes get sucked into the technicalities of things, but we don't understand why we're doing them. And I think with office hours, we started with Zoom. We came in into a room. We started saying, hey, who are you? Hey, who are you? And then we figured out, wow, these are global people here. We come with different abilities and we always have things to share. So when it comes to technical aspects, we all have to learn from each other. So we've learned OBS. We've learned uh Oh, ATEMs, this, that, and the other. There's a whole list that we made of even, you know, tech terms that maybe people might not understand to the norm, but we've blended the professional studio life into what now has become a home studio life for a lot of people. And again, that technical aspect of using like a Samsung Q2U mic that's hanging above me over here with a boom arm. And that was my first boom arm. That was my first microphone. I used it on a Yamaha MG10XU mixer. Yeah, it's a mouthful. But then came on, I need something better. And why is that better? Uh, and to learn about that better. And that only comes from experience, right? So showing up every day, I'm at 215 days consecutive. So I haven't taken a break. I just, even though I don't talk every day on the panel, it's showing up, making sure I hit my marks, making sure my lighting is good. I have the ability to ask somebody and you know behind the scenes and that's all technical but how do you take that same environment and transpond it into your business your environment where you want to have somebody on comm so then you're not looking silly that hey uh, can you change the slides you're not you know having somebody coming to a meeting and then you making your audience wait 30 minutes before you start your show and it's a global event so it just gives me a lot of power to take what i've known here you know through technology technology through screen readers to teach others about my abilities and uh, hopefully we'll make a better place in this first digital digital first event uh, type of world thanks tony audio 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 i'm just gonna say it uh, i have 60 plus 70 80 year olds using aftershocks because recommendation by office hours. And so we sound pretty good uh, in the house of worship that I'm working with on Zoom because of that. Um, so I, I'm just going to say audio. All right. How about Roscoe? Wow. Um, Andy Carluccio uh, opened my eyes to a lot of control, remote control. I, I mean, I understood SMPTE and timecode and some analog signal paths, but all the protocols that there are available to help us in this area to automate things, to remotely control things, to um, I think that's just the 
the that's my eyes have been opened to how much uh, work has been done that we can take advantage of. Uh, some of the sessions on DMX, uh, I, I knew DMX from a very small controller, but then to see how it got into a full, somebody did full background of a, like a full concert. And that was very interesting. So I'm going to say protocol is something that I've been made aware of. And I therefore try to, I don't implement them all, but at least I know of them. And I think I would say for technical advice, how you show up on camera impacts how you're heard. And so it's really common for me, for especially people on my team, to, to I encourage them to put a light behind their camera or raise their laptop up so that you can not look up their nose. These small changes that change how you appear to your audience so you can be taken more seriously and command the room. You know, classroom management is a skill to learn and virtual classroom management is a similar skill to learn. And a lot of that has to do with some very basic setup, like where's your light source? Do you have a wired? Um, are you using at least a boom headset when you're speaking into it? That sort of thing is the technical advice that I've changed significantly. Alex? I've just learned a lot about team dynamics. <laughs> you know, like So I think that for all of you, there's a lot of technical stuff. For me, it's been this huge operation I mean, of collecting incredible people together and being able to work with everybody and keep try to keep everybody giving them what they need each time and failing and succeeding at different times and doing the, you know, doing the best you can. And I think because office hours attract such a great group of people because of the filter, you know, the filtering of just being hard to get into and it takes people, the people that are in the discord, the people that are in the panel, the people that are the producers, because it collects such a great group of people, you can always enter the conversation going, we have different people that are passionate that don't agree with each other or that want to do something different. And it, you're not really, you really don't have the same thing in the real world, in the rest of the world, uh, where you always, but you can always come from that position. And um, I've learned a lot, you know, in that, in that process of working with everybody. And, and I'm always inspired by the incredible teams and people that are doing things all through office hours. I mean, this, this started off with me. I, I can show you, by the way, I think it's the first time anybody's seen this since it happened. Um, and so other than me, and I find, I found the file, <laughs> I'm going to put it in like eight places. Now it was sitting on a drive that I just had. And I was like, Oh, I got to keep this. And I copied it. And then I've been moving computers around and it needs to be backed up because this is the original. Um, do you guys want to see it or do you want me to? Let's see it. Okay. Sure. One, I, I don't want to like force it on you or anything. Hold on. Let's oh, see here. Oh, no, uh, no. It's, it's history uh, here. We're looking so at history. Here, let's, let's see here. Um, for some reason, uh, wow. I don't know what Zoom is doing, but it says I can't. Let's see. Sorry. I'm, I'm in uh, Zoom ISO, which let's see if you actually... Um, do you need a minute to continue to set yes, that up, Alex? On. Let's see. Uh, oh, I'm just, um, yeah, go ahead and go to Chris. I'll let me, let yeah, me go ahead, Chris. My takeaway um, isn't so much about the technical, but it's that um, about the importance of morale. And I think Alex was hinting at this, that um, one of the things that makes the uh, office hours experience so so positive is that um, somehow we pay as much attention to uh, the morale of the team and the celebration of milestones and the uh, the glorious experience of whether it was direct or vicarious of launching rockets 
into the sky and documenting that uh, outside Las Vegas um, makes makes the technical advice uh, be embedded in a community that cares about one another and uh, has the qualities of generosity and uh, as well as technical expertise that we celebrate so much. So focus the focus on morale, is, or as Alex pointed out, uh, team building um, and team maintenance. It's not, it's not enough to just have an A-list of expert panelists. It's also about the uh, cultivating the relationships and the humor and the, the musical strength and all the other interesting capabilities of people that that make uh, office hours uh, make me want to come back, keep it, keep coming back, even when I'm not engaged in the fine details of uh, technical matters that aren't part of my world uh, as a retired professor. So, yeah, it's it's like being on a, a the the best staffed and crewed ship in the Navy. It's a happy ship because it's. Uh, it, it's people care about each other. Well said, Dr. Clark. And for our producers, I want to remind you that you can continue to put questions into our Mukana chat. Uh, if you'd like to ask questions about education, where we've been the last three years or where we're going in the future. Alex, did you were you able to get that video queued up? I did. Um, and um, one, one thing that I, I, I just wanted to build on from what Chris was talking about was just that I listen to people say, well, you can't really build an on connections in an online community. Like you can't, you know, like, well, you can have a conference, but if you can't have people in there, you can't build connections. I feel far more connected to people and to everyone in office hours than I ever feel with anybody at a conference. And so, you know, it's just a matter of people doing things with each other and making a difference and, and time, you know, and the time and, and being able to discuss things and, and be vulnerable and all those things are, are, can happen anywhere. And I, but I, I, every time someone says that, I don't argue with them anymore. I feel like it's not worth pushing down the path. I'm just like, sure, sure. Okay. You know, so like I, I get, I get that that's what you think, um, but it's not, it's completely possible. Um, all right. So I'm going to play this. This is 640 by 360 because I didn't know how to do anything else. I, I think we didn't have anything else back then. And, um, and uh, we'll uh, see if this works. So this is, this is how it began. Um, this is, I don't think I've, again, I don't think I've shown this before. Um, let's see here, let's, let's share this. Let's see a little black screen. And uh, here we go. It's, let me know if you can hear it. There I am trying to figure this out. Like, how does the, can you hear it? No audio. It, it might've been me too, hold on. Let's see here. I think my audio wasn't working. I'm still trying to figure out how to get it off the ground. Can you hear that? Negative. Huh. You see it though. Yeah, we're getting the impression here. But you can't hear it. It's really quiet, but okay. Who well, is that young guy? I know. So you don't hear anything? I said right now to share audio. Um, but you did look confused at the beginning. Yeah. No, I I I, I don't show stuff very much stuff in the show with audio, so I'm I'm uh at a uh and I almost never use screen share. 
because I hear it, but I don't know why it's not. And I told, let me try it one more time. Sorry for, for everybody. It's, I'm actually doing something okay. in Zoom I don't do very often. Okay, I'm going to This is how we screen. learn things. Uh, yeah. We're learning from you that sometimes you can't share with the audio. So when you get your solution, you'll share it with us. Yeah, I'm going to try it. Let me try share sound again. Yeah. Let's see if this works. All right, now let's see if this. Uh, you still don't hear it. No, nothing. It could be I I the the background there. I'll stop. I'll stop. We'll we'll, we'll come back to it. We'll maybe we'll watch it on Sunday. We'll we'll, we'll show it. Uh, I'll figure out what's going on. I took Zoom off of this machine, um, so I have Zoom ISO on it. I have I don't have the regular Zoom on it because uh, I installed Zoom. I accidentally installed the new version of Zoom yesterday, and it broke uh, Ace and Loopback, and it just crushed my entire system and almost derailed the entire event that I had. So. I just said I'm not going to put Zoom on my machine anymore. <laughs> so I'm not sure if Zoom ISO is capable of sharing this. So I'll, I'll figure out another pipeline um, uh, for it. But anyway, so we'll... All right, so stay it. tuned and yep. tune in tomorrow to see uh, what that sound was behind that okay. video. Okay. Uh, Laura Thompson, one of our back-end crew and guests last week, uh, wanted to share that if you're interested in stepping up your event or media game, you've come to the right place. So uh, it's a great place to learn and grow. We're going to move to our next question. What is that, Dave? It's from Guy Cochran in Seattle, Washington. What accomplishments has OH achieved? Go ahead, Chris. I talked a little bit about the uh, the persuasiveness that uh, indeed true community can happen uh, remotely uh, with the right spirit of inclusion and uh, and connection and reaching out. And, that, and we've done this long enough that... Um, there are many stories floating through the office hours community of um, occasions when uh, people have been traveling and have actually met up with uh, people they've gotten to know initially through office hours and and they've had wonderful meals and reunions and we've seen some photographs and heard some stories about that so it's it's uh it's sort of like the uh, we are the world we are the people that kind of a, a, a generation of connection and uh, co-creation that um, I think has made, made the case that um, better things are possible than what our circumstances uh, deal to us. The hands that were dealt uh, can be improved by uh, trying new things, trying a new form of community and and showing up every day. I think that's the other uh, hallmark of office hours is that we got smarter and better and and more connected by showing up on a daily basis rather than uh, it would it would have taken thirty years to reach the point that we've reached today in terms of connection and community if we had only met once a week or once a month. Uh, and it might not have even lasted long enough to achieve that. I'll stop there. All right. Roscoe? Wow. Um, this It's proven that uh, life is a relay race to me and that uh, the, the baton's been passed between people. There are some incredible coaches in the background. Um, Mickey, if I can't speak so highly of you just the way you even today, you know, I hadn't been around in a while and just the time you take, how kind you are how um, um how much you know 
you know, and that kind of stuff. So I, I think they've it's achieved that. I know when we all got together in the desert a year, just a little over a year ago, that was a really incredible, it's a powerful moment. Um, you know, in life, you meet these people virtually and you don't know, the only thing you don't know is how tall people are. That was the most amazing thing. You, you suddenly you run into people, like, oh my gosh, he's, you know, two inches taller than I ever, you know, it, it's just, but just the greetings, the fact that you knew everybody and yet here you are in this barren desert. And then I, John, you couldn't have planned that rocket launch to go any better because the way it didn't happen and the suspense is like, oh my gosh, we all got together. And and then you go back out there and you go, it wasn't anything we did. You know, we, we identified the problem. It wasn't ours. And then it went up and, and just the thrill I think everyone had and then searching for it. Uh, there's, I don't know if the story's all, all been told about, you know, the vehicle getting stuck and another vehicle going, getting that vehicle that got stuck. And then finally <laughs> they got to recover the rocket. And so today, if you go to Las Vegas, you can go to a bar and see that rocket up there hanging above everyone's head. And I just, it, how meaningful that was, I think to everybody, um, that's a great accomplishment. All right, Tony. Yeah, I just want to say um, the idea of being able to, for houses of worship, to remove their four walls, I think is a major accomplishment. And it may not have been, you know, what Alex was envisioning, but the fact that um, there are multiple people who never come on the panel but have gleaned from office hours how to have a worship experience where they're able to bring in and pull in people from all over the world. And I just think that that is amazing. Jeffrey? The biggest, I think the biggest accomplishment is just the fact that we can take a piece of software that was technically not meant for doing something like this and turn it into something through a group of people that are very passionate about what they're doing and then be able to rinse and repeat that option to other areas. I mean, I, I watched the news last night and I watched, uh, I watched two people do different interviews and they were both on Zoom and one person was uh, talking to an alderman or something like that and they, they did the full screen and, and the person was like crouched down like this and then they had their lower thirds all over them and it looked horrible and then of course their name was in the corner through a Zoom call and then I had a, the, the next interview, they, used, they, they pointed the camera at the phone and, uh, of the Zoom call and, and both of them, the audio was horrible, the video was horrible, the positioning was horrible. I've done, I've done since... Being on office hours, I've done many jobs, uh, and the last job I just did was I wasn't recording people. I was just basically telling them how to position their cameras, how how to change their lighting, how to make it look at least semi decent because you know we we couldn't give them a webcam, high end webcam or high end microphone to work with. So at least I could get in there and find out what they were working with and make it to the best of its ability for there. So I think it's just taking taking things beyond the scope of the box and just making something new out of it, which is something that I bet you there's a lot of people that have never been on office hours, have taken those ideals and put it towards their daily routines and then found that they're making lots of money simply by doing that stuff. I'll bet so. How about Josh? Um, I think the among the accomplishments is some of, well, just having a show for 
<laughs> over a thousand, I think, uh, you know, over a thousand episodes is, uh, is an accomplishment itself, something that people are willing to do over and over again. But uh, we've mentioned the, the rocket launch, the OH space, the different uh, crazy sounding propositions that people have uh, brought up. Um, if they're desirable enough, people have been willing to support them. We've had uh, started with our NAB, our NAM, Cinegear, IBC, um, and we did our thousands show commemoration, and now we're coming back around to NAB. But what it shows is, I think that if you come up with a concept that, even though challenging, is compelling enough, people will show up, support it, and move it forward. And the fact that we're still having a show, uh, you know, we we talk about our crew that's supporting us today. The fact that we're still coming back and supporting the show, uh, I think, is an accomplishment all in itself. And Alex. I think that it, it kind of went from us having a bunch of meetings to something that is, I mean, a lot of people are paying attention <laughs> to what we're doing and a lot of people are looking at it. And when you look at other people's Zoom events and the thing we do every day, we, I think we take it for granted, but it is a unique, unique thing. And I've had a couple of people, there's some people that are joining the production team soon that just were like, we, I just really want to figure out what's going on, <laughs> like how this is working, you know? And, and I think that when you take, when you look at the opportunity for someone who doesn't have a ton of technical experience to be able to go into a system and run a very professional looking show every day is, is, is a huge achievement because it, it democratizes what we're doing now. The system is still like, we're still working on it and everything else, but we really want to take into account how far we've come over the last three years uh, and it would have taken a lot longer if we had met any in an iteration any less than this. <laughs> you know, so every day cranking through this and now you're going to see us adding, you know, HDR and surround and, you know, we're going to, you know, last a year ago with NAB, everyone kind of cobbled things together and we were doing the best we can. And, you know, we, we did and, and we still did better than almost anybody else out there. This year we're going with either two or three live views. Um, we're going to be able to test HDR in 5.1. We've got electrosonic mics. We've got, you know, the electrosonics are going to send us what we need there. Um, we have all these pieces. We're going to be doing shorts and VOD and live with the panel, live without the panel, um, impromptu inside of After Hours. It is going to be the most extensive coverage of an event, uh, of one of these events ever, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and and we've got 50 people, you know, showing, you know, on-site and off-site that are putting this together. And so I think that the, you know, when you look at it, you, the hard part for us is we're always looking at the present always just feels like, oh, we're just kind of figuring this out. But if we compare it to where we were three months, six months, a year ago, two years ago, it's dramatic, you know? And, um, and I think that, you know, it's going to be exciting to go another year out and be able to look back at this because I think this year is going to be intense. All right, go ahead, Dave. It accomplished one thing for me in that my involvement in the IBC coverage says I want to go to Amsterdam. <laughs> What's our next question? It's from Tommy Schantz in St. Paul, Minnesota. What are the top couple of things that you were able to implement from OH that made the greatest difference in your productions? The game changers that took you to another level. Dr. Clark? This is actually more about my my role as a mentor to my daughter, Victoria, who's a professor at Arizona State in speech language pathology and um, was thrown into remote uh, teaching and uh, 
and had to adapt that to clinical, delivering clinical services remotely. And uh, I was able to help her set up a home studio that uh, took some of the best advice from office hours to uh, paint the wall the right color behind her, for example, and to uh, to get a standing desk or one that's um, could be shifted from a sitting position to a standing position and to get a decent um, a decent webcam and uh, better audio, as everybody has mentioned. And so um, week by week, we added one element after another. And uh, it turned out that her participation in meetings, as well as uh, teaching and clinical work, uh, became a model for uh, her department, her unit at the university. And, and in fact, uh, I think in no small measure to um, attribute the fact that she was she was just selected as the uh, president-elect of the Arizona Association of Speech-Language Pathologists, that they wouldn't have known her had it not been for her uh, presence during the shutdown period uh, and and the power of her presence or the quality of her presence uh, had a lot to do with uh, that. So we can kind of trace and and swear possibly swear at uh, office hours for getting her into a job that she probably will uh, eventually regret, as most administrators do. Well, congratulations to her. How about Jeffrey? First of all, I want to go to Amsterdam too. Um, so, it, to me, it's been more of a stairway to heaven. If you if you think about it, I, when when I started uh, with office hours, uh, I was rebuilding a studio uh, because uh, there was a spot that <clears throat> excuse me that I knew that I was going to be in uh, that can do more production, more uh, unboxings, more uh, uh, videos more interviews and, and things like that. So uh, I was, at that time I was building studio, we were also building at-home kits to send to uh, people. And, and that was the first set of at-home kits that I, that I ever built. But I had an idea of, of how I wanted to do it. But of course that graduated uh, after a couple, uh, couple of the shows that we had on office hours from there. Uh, since then, I've been just, there's just been a lot of different things that I've built from when Zoom ISO came out, from when, uh, you know, Mix Effect came out, from even when the ATEMs came out and how that's changed different types of productions. And even today in the last 24 hours, where I just built myself an onstage timer and I put that through, uh, I'm putting it through the paces. This is the, the software, by the way, from the first hour they were talking about which has just been, uh, from what I've been playing with, has just been completely amazing and uh, something new that I can definitely learn uh, because, you know, I know that in the real world production, that's going to be needed. So uh, be able to uh, offer a service like that is just amazing. And then, like I said, uh, I, just did a, I just did a job where I was just positioning people on the camera and telling them how they look and the, how they sound. So uh, just to, it's it's always going to be uh, you get to one point and you're still learning at that point for that one thing, but then all of a sudden it's going to take you in a different direction and you have to take that next step, and uh, you you're going to learn a lot from it. That's an awesome timer, Tony. Heil PR40, ATEM Mini, M1 Mac Mini, uh, Mac Mini uh, Stream Deck, 
AWS, uh, Audio Hijack, Loopback, so many different things. I can go on and on and on. But I, I can say that using, having the ICANN um, teleprompter for worship, for conversation with Tony Mobley, is probably one of the biggest game changers. Thanks, Tony. What's our next question? Our next question comes from John Snyder himself. Thinking back before office hours, what made you become an educator and how do you stay connected to that purpose in the midst of technological and societal change? Roscoe? Well, I was came out of college and got all my stockbrokers licenses and stuff the week of Thursday before Black Monday. Uh, so that did not look like a good career path at that moment. And I was playing around at Disneyland and a bunch of creative people got together and were, were uh, making films inside the park in the early morning hours before it opened. And a position came available at a university and I went over and helped a gentleman who was a mentor for me. And so that's how I got into the education, kind of through the back door. I got to be able to take a hobby and turn it into a career. And it's been uh, wonderful to do uh, to, to just, you know, be able to give that kind of information away, to build teams, to uh, stay connected to a changing industry. And that's the key there is you have to be able to uh, stay on top of things, going to trade shows, talking to people. People are, you know, you go to a trade show and you find good resources and booths and you get a lot of good information from those individuals. So I think that's uh, the key that you then as an educator get to give that information to students in a packaged way. Great. Tony? Uh, I don't even know where to start as far as education is concerned. Uh, when I graduated from college, uh, I was a supply teacher or a substitute teacher. I had a classroom that I was assigned to, and I did that for a year and a half every day. And then I, I left that and did primarily social work and uh, case manager and different organizations, most of them nonprofits, and end up going back to education, becoming a um, classroom support, and then eventually become a high school autism teacher. And that was my last job as a high school autism teacher. And I, I think for me, the, the idea of people going the extra mile to help me navigate um, my educational experience as a, as, a, as a child was part of why I was always doing the kind of work that I've been able to do. For me myself, it was really, uh, I've always enjoyed helping other people do their best. And usually the challenge for people doing their best is that they can't connect what they know to how they do it. And that's something that I've always been able to help explain in ways that are simple to people. So no matter where I'm at, I, I tend to find myself helping other people learn. Alex? Yeah, I think that uh, for me, the I, I didn't really, I, I, I always felt like, uh, and this is something I just noticed even when I was a kid, was that I loved learning and I didn't like school very much, you know, and, and so, and I, and so the, the, uh, that was a, the disparity between that of something, someone who is like, I, I literally grew up reading the entire encyclopedia, like the, like I just started at the beginning and I'd come home and just slowly work my way all the way through the thing over about a year. And, um, and it was just, so I loved absorbing information and, you know, and, and doing that. And I just couldn't stay in school. 
and so I think that um, I, and I was either too slow or things about things I didn't like, or most important, it wasn't providing me the information as fast as I wanted it. And it wasn't customizing and allowing me to do that. And so I think that I went into this mo- mode of constantly trying to solve that problem. Like the, it was just me trying, every time I, I, I went into an educational position, I was just trying to figure out how do I solve the problem of that? You know, when I look at, you know, um, uh, you know, to me, uh, I used, I almost created my next company when I closed PixelCore as B212, B212 or B12, B212, B212, which is, you know, I need a, I need a hel- I need a program for a B212 helicopter, you know, from the matrix. Like that's where we're trying to get to, you know, we're trying to get to, I want to learn something and I can absorb a huge amount of information very, very fast. And then I can go do it. And, uh, and so I was always kind of, and someone had already done that, by the way, someone already created that company <laughs> that did exactly that. So or they, they, they're working on it. So, um, uh, the, so I think that the, that I'm always trying to solve the problem of how do we get people operational in what they're doing as fast as possible. And I feel like we're get, we're almost to the point where we have the tools to do it. Like it's, it's, and Zoom is one of those important tools. Uh, AR is an important tool, uh, hyper, you know, like building documents that are, that are full of video and audio and all these other things are part of that. GPT is part of that. You know, all of these things are, are things that are going to help us accelerate how fast people learn so that they can, you know, they can get to that point of proficiency uh, faster. You know, and I think that, that, that it's all, you know, that's, but that's what I've been trying to solve since before, long before uh, office hours. What's our next question? Our next one comes from Douglas Carmichael. With the tools and techniques that we're developing, Makana, for example, and the technology available to the consumer today, is this the nail in the coffin for traditional cable access TV? Dave? Well, I'll start with I'm a veteran of cable access TV. It's a very strong thing here in Canada, and it's well supported by all the cable companies, both financially and hiring people who actually train people how to make television. So having come from that, I think what we're seeing here is the transition that the Internet has had on what is a push media and what is a pull media. The Internet allows you to pull information toward you and decide which information you'd like to follow. In push media, they have people who have stories they want to tell and things they think you should know, and then they put it up and push it to you, and you set aside time to receive it in real time. Interactive television has always been the dream in cable access, and it's never been able to do it. But this here is not television. So you have to get out of television to do the interactive stuff. Alex? I don't think it's a nail in the coffin, but I think that I think that it, we're probably going to outmode that. I think that that these a lot of what would make sense for cable access, they still have funding, is to try to figure out how to use the tools that we're using to extend the, what they're doing there. There's a huge value in having the resources of a cable access station, and we've used those resources in the past, and then applying them to things that are not necessarily the cable access, the traditional cable access um, approach to sending it out to cable. But how do you build interactive events? How do you build online events using the infrastructure from the cable? You can still put it out to, to cable to keep that license going. But really, how do we take full advantage of the of the ability? We've got a million dollars of equipment or half a million dollars worth of equipment sitting in a room in a building in most cities um, that is ready to be used. And it's usually underused um, in that process. Next question. This one comes from Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois. 
How can the Office Hours family best help the education industry vendors by providing active guidance and testing to future products and learning applications to improve learning? Dr. Clark? Oh, Kenny, I think your your answer is embedded in your question right there. I think that the Office Hours family can continue to provide active guidance and uh, the reports of trials that we've done of, uh, of new releases and new products and technology. But I think that our, our goal, or at least my goal, is to be helpful to educators. So if we're helpful to educators about steering them toward uh, things that work or look like improvements or applications that might not have been envisioned by the users, um, that that's helpful to educators, but it's also helpful to the vendors as well. So um, I think we're doing it and, um, and I think we're going to keep doing it. And something you can specifically do is if you're developing a solution, have someone who's not technical, who you know, test it out and see how they respond to it. Most educators are not super technical. Next question. Next one again from Douglas Carmichael. Alex talks about turning the dials up. As our audience grows, how can we nurture a true sense of engagement within our community and not just be a slave to the viewer count? Roscoe? You have to learn to laugh, and that's L-A-F. You have to love people, just, just genuinely love what we're doing here. You have to accept people wherever they're at, if they're a newbie or if they're experienced. And then there's going to be some times we're going to, great against each other so you have to forgive you have to forgive people just and, and let it go on well put alex yeah uh, i've never been much of a uh, slave to the viewer count so we're going to do things that that have people um uh more probably more people show up so i'm definitely preparing people for that but there's never going to be a time when i'm doing things just to get viewer counts or you know i don't believe in all the kind of the short-term thinking of just dumping huge amounts of people into something or doing uh you know what I would consider garish, you know, you know, please to try to pull people in uh, with gotchas and, and uh, you know, headlines that pull people in and all those types of things. I think that it, it creates a shallow experience. So we are going to do things that are more high profile. That's going to add the number of people are coming in. And we will actually probably make it more restrictive to get into Discord and harder to get into after hours um, as we build, as office hours starts to expand, we're going to be constantly watching that. And the I view office hours as the, the little pointy part of an iceberg that sits above it. And after hours and the Discord and everything else is this huge iceberg that sits underwater. And we're going to keep on protecting that underwater piece as we start to build that up because that'll keep on flowing people in and it, and it will have a lot of people there and we'll have more viewers in office hours. But we're going to be very careful about how that affects the rest of that community that, that makes all of that work. We're going to, we, we do, do need to keep growing. We do need continually to have free, free, new, new free thinking and, and new blood and everything else coming into the system. But we will be make sure that it's not too much all at once. So, you know, just we'll, we'll keep on working on that. I'm not too worried about, as, you, as you've noticed, maybe. I'm not too worried about view count. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in average view time and, and uh, sequential attendance. And what's our last question? The last question of episode 1096 is from Steve Podmore in London. I'm blown away by the power and professionalism of this community. Could Alex please speak to where we see office hours going, any plans for offering the system or expertise to others, and I'm seeking to do something similar in sustainable finance. 
Alex? The system's wide open to do this now. I mean, so people could talk to us and use, I mean, I think a lot of people do other shows within office hours using their own infrastructure, but you're, you know, we, if you're, if we have people that have already worked on these things um, and understand how the system works, I'm open to definitely, we, it's an, the next step for us in the next couple of months is being able to, for instance, rebrand office hours so that it could change theoretically, you know, we've talked about it in the past, but be able to get to a point where you could use the office hour system without the graphics, you know, change the background, change the colors, change those types of things so that you can make that work. I mean, we're not ready for that just yet, but we will be in sometime in the, in this year, I hope. <laughs> and and uh, where that could be re relatively easy to switch the branding around as well. Um, we do want pe more people to be able to use office hours as an infrastructure, um, what we're figuring out, because we'll learn a lot too. As people use it differently, um, we had the same thing with yesterday with, with Justine. We had a whole bunch of people show up. And uh, they did the things that we didn't expect them to. <laughs> and so, so you're going to see us constantly playing with those infrastructures um, to make that work. Uh, our goal is to figure that out. Our goal is to, is, to, um, is to figure out how office hours could be running and serving lots of different markets. I think that what we figured out here, to kind of close out the three-year experiences, what we figured out here is how, how to have this great conversation with a lot of uh, experts all together I think this is apply, applicable to educators, to financiers, to bankers, to people in the cars, gardeners, cooks, you know, like all these things, there's all these discussions that could happen. Anything we're passionate about, we could collect people who are interested in it and have some experience and have them answering questions to people who are, who are also trying to figure this out as well. And so this model, I think, is apply, applicable to millions and millions of different things. And it's one of the reasons that it's not office hours, uh, pixel or office hours video or office hours graphics because it's just office hours and that office hours can be applied to anything and so you'll see us experimenting more and more this year as you look at over the next year you're gonna we've already touched on cooking in the past we've done those types of things you'll see us playing more and more both inside of our little box of video and computer graphics and audio and so on and education and outside of that box where we start experimenting with singular shows and then other things that are dealing with markets that may not be traditionally what we're doing. They won't take away from what Office Hours is doing, but they're going to they're going to experiment with like, can we bring, for instance, could we have a big discussion with a bunch of chefs? And they're all, you know, or people who are really expertise in cooks that are answering questions about your rutabaga. <laughs> like, you know, whatever it is, whatever that is, or, or how to cook something or do, do those types of things. And that cooking and photography and some of the other things are, are um, uh, yeah, so, so the, the it, um, those are the things we're working on. So we're, we're, it's going to be a big year. And you'll see us focus a lot more on these events. And these events won't always be, you know, NAB, Cinegear, um, possibly Infocom, possibly uh, Pro Video in, in Germany possibly IBC, CGRAPH. These are all things we're looking at. We're going to take what we learned at NAB and apply it to a lot of those, but we may start applying them to other conferences and other things, what, we, what we're learning to figure this out because I think that there's a lot of uh, opportunity that we have. Of, we're figuring out a lot of things very fast, faster, I will argue, than most people out there because we can apply more people to it. And so, um, so we're help, what we're doing is helping not just respond to the future, but create it. Thank you, Alex. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. If 
you are excited about the way where Office Hours is going and where we've been. It's been a three years of highly technical people building an amazing show. And where we're going in the future is to really scale that up and make it something that other people can get involved in. And if you're interested in being involved, make sure you sign up through Office Hours Global in the sign-up sheet. There's a, a daily email. You can sign up to volunteer or learn more, even if you're not a very technical person yourself. And I think Alex mentioned earlier today that there's a potential volunteer meeting next Saturday. If you really enjoyed that last question and want to hear more about introspection in office hours, make sure you join us tomorrow for the show, which is live show only. Uh, thank you, panelists, for your time today. And for those of you who haven't seen in a while, welcome back. We are so glad to see you. Thank you, producers, for those great questions and making sure that we're able to help solve your problems as well as give us a chance to reflect on the last three years. And lastly, thank you, back in crew. We couldn't do this without you. And today you stayed a little bit late. Uh, we appreciate the extra time. Our questions, if you were to travel from question asker to question hour throughout the day, you would have traveled 83,154 miles, courtesy of the Tlaloc Traversal. That's equivalent to lining up 752 million bananas end to end. Uh, we encourage you to stay through the credits, and you can see who all has been involved in our production today, and we'll see you again next week. just realized I forgot to eat my banana today. Do they have banana lattes? Uh, I could probably create one, but I probably would just use the syrup. I don't think I put bananas in the latte. That would be ChatGPT. How do you make a banana latte? Potassium. So much potassium.